The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Hi, I'm Lois McNaughton, core faculty at Teleosis Institute, and I'd like to welcome you to this edition of the future of health coaching online. My guest today is Dr. Don Eisenhower. Don is the founder of Coaching at End of Life, where he provides end-of-life training, resources, and coach training. He's a professional certified coach through ICF. In addition to doing end-of-life coaching and leading grief support groups, Don serves as a hospice chaplain and bereavement coordinator for hospice in Pennsylvania. Don is the author of several books, which you can find on his website, www.coachingatendoflife.com. Don has a passion for helping people live until they die and to equip individuals to journey with the dying and the grieving. Welcome, Don. It's good to see you here today. Oh, thank you, Lois. It's great to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and finding out more about what you do. I look forward to our conversation as well, and I love sharing about what I do. Great. One of the first things I'd like to find out is how you came to applying coaching to your uh, chaplain and ministerial work. Okay. Um, yes, I've done my work in my ministry in a number of different areas. I had served a, a church, a pastor of a church, for 15 years. And then I started doing the chaplaincy work and working with a hospice. Um, when I was still pastoring a church, I had gone back and gotten my doctorate in counseling. So in the midst of doing my, my ministry, I was always doing some counseling on the side, very much enjoyed counseling. And then after I started into the hospice work, uh, I had a friend who was teaching coaching. He invited me att to attend one of his trainings and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with coaching I realized how amazing and practical and helpful it was in holding conversations with other people. But what I also realized since I had just started spending my full time with the dying and with the grieving, that the coaching model was the perfect model to be able to use in caring for and being with the dying and the grieving. And so that's when I started using it all the more and applying it. And that's when I started writing and started teaching others how they could use a coach approach in being with the dying and the grieving. What would you say that it adds over the, the counseling and the chaplaincy uh, training that you've had? Okay. It's the whole coach approach is just a great model for how to be with the dying and the grieving, okay? And I'm not saying the counseling is bad. I still use my counseling skills and we need counselors as well. So this is not a cut in any way on counseling, okay? This is just another tool that is used. But what I really love about it for those who are at end of life is the whole coaching model is based on listening and not talking. And what those who are dying and those who are grieving really need is people to listen. It's not a model based on coming to fix them, which is what a lot of therapy models are based on, coming in to try and fix them and say, you're at a bad place and we need to make you better. And we'll give you the tools to do so. 
the coaching model says you don't need to be fixed. You're already at a good place. We're there to walk the journey with you and help you express and find your own answers to what it is that you need. That's what I love. Mm -hmm. The coaching really teaches people how to listen well, teaches them how to ask questions rather than tell people what to do. And I find that those who are at the receiving end of this coach approach just respond in such better, amazing, powerful ways to the person who's using the coach approach and helps them to go further in their grief process or in their process of whatever event is happening in their lives. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah, for uh, clarifying. And it, it's just, I'm just getting this really strong sense of the ability to be with what's happening, be with the person, no matter what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about walking the journey with them, about being present with them, okay? A sense of seeing them, okay, the one who is dying, the one who is grieving as the real expert, and we come along as a student to learn from them, to be present with them, to be supporting them in their journey. That's quite beautiful, yeah. Yeah, it is. Thank, Thank you. you, it's a privilege. Yes, I, uh, I, I have mentioned to you that I do some work in hospice and uh, mm -hmm. what you're saying is, is really resonating as you speak. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. So another thing I'm curious about is that you offer training and support services. Mm -hmm. is if you could share a little bit about uh, how that works for you. Okay. Yeah, we have different trainings that we offer. The primary training is uh, ACTP and Accredited Coach Training Program with the International Coach Federation. It's 142 hours long, and it trains people in coaching skills as well as in what do the dying need, what do the grieving need. Okay. So when people are finished this training, there's a lot of practical experience and trying out and practicing what they've been learning. And in the end, they are prepared. They've had all the training that they need to be able to get their PCC with the International Coach Federation to get their credentialing with them. But we also certify them as end-of-life coaches when they are complete completely finished the 142 hours. So that's our primary training, the main training. We also have some other trainings. I have a 48-hour training for people who are already doing end-of-life work, okay, for people such as hospice workers or for clergy or for funeral directors or many others who are already doing the end-of-life work but who simply want to learn how to do, use this coach approach as well as just some other skills of what the dying and the grieving need. So these individuals usually don't need credentialing, they don't need certification, they just wanna learn how to do the job better that they're already doing. So that's a 48 hour training. And then another 40 hour training for those who are already coaches, for those who already have their coaching credential, but they wanna add end of life to their tool mix. So we teach some of the basic end-of-life skills to add on to their coaching. Okay? And then some other separate 
trainings that that will do sometimes um, people ask for specialized trainings that we will provide for them okay in addition to that we provide you said support services yeah there are a number of things we have we have a, a free webinar that we offer a four hour usually one hour a week for four weeks called coach yourself through grief which is based on my book coach yourself through grief which is for anyone who is grieving it teaches them some of the basic principles that they can use in their grief basic principles that if they had a grief coach that their coach would be sharing with them um, but they can apply it to their own grief they can coach themselves um, but it also gives them a little taste of what it's like to be in a grief support group okay so we have people we offer that every couple of months and people from all around the world who like to participate in that free webinar. We also offer coaching. I coach people, do life coaching as well as grief coaching, end of life coaching. And many of the individuals who go through my training and are certified go on my website on a list of certified coaches and they offer train or offer coaching for people. So that can all be found on the website. We also have what we call an online grief community, a place where people can come to find grief support. We have a monthly telephone grief group where we have people calling in from around the world once a month just to be on the telephone and find support from other people. We have a chat room grief support group that meets once a month. Okay, there's a webcam grief support group. These are all free of charge, just reaching out to people who are grieving to help connect them together. There's even a chat room that's always available. We call it Anytime Grief Support, where people can come on and just look for somebody else who happens to be on at the same time and chat together about their grief experience. That's yeah. quite quite a, uh, an array of entries into the possibility of accessing this work. The, um, it's when you, you it's like you're forming community uh, around grief mm -hmm. to support people. Yeah, grief is not something you want to go through alone. Okay, it's so helpful to be able to connect with other people uh, who who understand, who get what you're going through, people who are going to listen, people who are going to support. So that's what we do as coaches but we also provide an even larger community for them to do so. And in, in the way that you're providing it, uh, it, it seems like even people who were hesitant about uh, stepping into this, that this would make it easier for them. They, they don't have to go out to a group or uh, be involved with a group uh, that they may feel that they don't want to say too much because it's, it's local. Yeah. Um, just in terms of um, their own privacy issues around this. Yeah, it is because some people very much want that. And then there are others who don't. There are others who don't like using the technology for their grief support and they want an in-person grief group. And that's great. Uh, I know I run a number of in-person grief groups here as well, but unless you live in my local area, you're not going to be able to attend them. So this provides an opportunity for people to find grief support, even if they don't have 
a local in-person group in their community. And then, as you said, there are some who just don't want to go in person. Maybe they don't drive at night and that's their only time. So that's an opportunity to connect with other people, even if they can't go out or they don't want to. The, uh, you mentioned the, the, the people that you train, the coaches that are on your website. Uh -huh. and it, it seems to me that it would be, um, that a certain type of people would be drawn to this type of work um and to be in your training and i was wondering what is it that sort of uniquely forms your training approach that makes that differentiates it from the others and makes people capable of being with the dying and the bereaved yeah i think it goes back to your earlier question of why i got into coaching and teach coaching as part of it that's one of the things that makes our program unique and different from a lot of other programs where we not only teach what do the dying need what do the grieving need but we teach how to do coaching and not just the basics of coaching I mean, we do that with some some of those individuals that's all they're looking for but with our certification program we actually prepare them to be a credentialed life coach to be able to really have practiced and learned the skills necessary to truly be present with those who are at end of life. Mm -hmm. And that is so much needed. Okay? It gives them not just the, the letters and the credentials, but really the skills. Because what I like about with the International Coach Federation, in order to get your, as you well know, to get your ACC, you also need 100 practice hours. Mm -hmm. To get your PCC, there have to be 500 hours of coaching before you can even apply for your PCC. So these aren't individuals who are just saying, I think I can do it. Let me go and try it. But these are people who have been doing it and doing it and doing it because you know as well as I do, the only way to really get better at coaching is by coaching, is by doing it. It is and, very true. <laughs> yeah, it is. So these are individuals, if they get to the point of certification, they have practiced as well as learned the skills. I guess I'm curious about this question from my own perspective, because um, as a certified coach, before I started uh, working at hospice, um, even that stepping into that environment and being with people that were dying uh, was new and different and required, it required more of me uh, okay. than, than my training had brought and, and experience had brought so far. So okay. it's like there's just, there's something extra that's required for being in that space. There is, and that's why we spend a lot of time not just teaching skills and not just practicing coaching, but really doing our own work of what it means to be with the dying and the grieving. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of examining, you know, how am I with the fact that I'm going to be dying and what that means. We spend time examining ourselves and having the students examine themselves saying how well have we mourned all the losses of life that we've experienced because if we're not doing our own work and facing our own end of life issues and addressing them on an ongoing basis we're not going to be able to be fully present with the clients who 
we have the privilege of being with because we'll be thinking about ourselves and our own work. So we do that when we're not with the clients is the healthy time. In addition to that, we spend a lot of time talking about how to care for ourselves in the midst of doing this work uh, because it is a draining work. It's a real privilege. It's exciting. I couldn't imagine doing anything else, but it takes a lot out of us. And so we need to make sure we're caring for ourselves and making sure we are at our best all the time so that we can be so present and to be our best for the clients we're with. So tremendous um, focus on self-development. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is so much needed to be an end-of-life coach. Yes. Yeah, we say how you show up matters, okay? And we want to show up as whole and complete so we can see our clients as whole and complete. Complete. And then that ability to sense what's going on in the space and to know what's appropriate and not appropriate at any given time requires experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. The, um, um, is there anything else about uh, the work that you do when you're training? Uh, because as a trainer, it's a little different than coaching that uh, is particularly important to you. The training of that, your coaches. Um, well, a lot of things, I guess. Uh, one thing that's really important is I like to share my experience. Okay. Um, some of them have already done end-of-life work themselves, and they have some opportunities to share. Some have not. So from all the years that I've spent doing this end-of-life work, I like to share with them a lot of the stories, a lot of the experiences of what I've been through to give them a taste of, of what it's like, okay? We give people an opportunity to share in the group their own end-of-life experiences, okay? So we learn from each other. We do a lot of practice coaching. Okay? And practicing, even coaching each other on our end-of-life topics. That helps the one being coached to do their own work. But it also gives the coaches the opportunity to really practice being with other students. So that's a couple of things that I find really helpful. We also invite some other people who are grieving or have a loved one dying, perhaps, to be able to call in and to be able to provide opportunities for these student coaches, to be able to practice on them in a sense, which we find is usually really helpful for those calling in, as well as to have the opportunity for the students to try this out. Okay? So that's really good. We talk about coaching individuals. We also teach how to coach groups, coaching groups in grief. So people are prepared to lead grief support groups throughout that time. We talk about how to make a really safe place for individuals um, when they're dealing with their end of life issues. But then we also talk about for those who are running an organization or some who have a, a, a parish or a synagogue or, or, or a church, how do you make these places safe as well? Just to really prepare people 
to be able to deal with their end of life issues in, in helpful and healthy ways. And that's an interesting thing to bring up because in, in our culture, death is something that it doesn't, isn't part of conversation very much with most people. Yeah, you're right. It's something people don't really want to talk about. You're right. That's something we hear all the time with people who are grieving. I don't have anyone safe to share with. Mm -hmm. One, people just don't want to talk about it. And the general sense is if I talk about it, it might happen to me. So I'm just going to make believe it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so for those who are grieving, for those who do have a loved one dying, it makes it really difficult because they want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's why we are available. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't be in such demand if there were a lot more people who were talking about this and were really open to walking the journey with others. But that's just not the case. Although, uh, just to say, I'm happy to see things are beginning to change, though. You know, there are organizations like yours. There are death cafes. There are Consider the Conversations. There are even a lot of movies that are just coming out that are focusing on grief, which I find really exciting because it's getting people talking about it. And this taboo subject is becoming real. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, it's indicating that there is a shift happening on, happening. But there's like, when you were talking earlier, there was a sense of uh, normalizing the conversation which then makes people more comfortable to go and talk about it in the broader context, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess is part of there's maybe a, a growing shift in that direction. It is. It's slow. Okay. And we have a long way to go, mm -hmm. but the shift is beginning to take place, which I love because then more people are, are open to face it and to deal with it. More people are willing to have an end of, end of life coach come alongside of them and give them the support that they need to. The, um, that brings up um, something that I've noticed at hospice is with the, there's a huge difference between people who have done some sort of work like this and people who have not addressed it at all in terms of their experience at end of life. Um, I was wondering about what your experience around that is. Yeah, I find that there are a lot of professionals who have just never been trained in this area. Okay, I, I can use myself as an example for that. When I was pastoring a church, I had pastored for 15 years and really had received very little training on what to do with the dying and the grieving. And I look back now and realize that I probably wasn't the best help to the people I served. I wanted to be, and I really tried, but I just never learned what the dying and the grieving needed. And I now look back, and that's one of the reasons why I formed Coaching at End of Life, is I want to help train and equip others to be able to really be present with them and to give them what they need, to give them the space, to treat them um, as whole and complete and not needing to be fixed, to be able to listen and not talk and not feel like you have to have the right thing to say. Just be present and listen to them and give them a safe place to share. And I find that even 
as I do the hospice work and get around to a lot of other professionals, realize many of them had not been equipped either. So I'm not blaming, just saying that's the reality. And that's why we're here. We want to help equip people because we are so much needed. So much needed. And every one of us will need it at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there just isn't a whole lot around as far as people to help with this. I mean, there's barely a day that goes by that I don't get a call from somebody new saying, I'm hurting, my loved one died, or I'm in the midst of grief, or my loved one is dying. Can you help me? Okay. And then we can direct them in a number of different directions. But the need is there. And it's wonderful that there's help for them now, yeah. more so than in the past. It is. So I also like to ask you about your dragonfly metaphor. <laughs> the dragonfly on your web page, and you have your, your little ebook about life lessons from the uh, dragonflies. Um, I guess maybe I'll just ask what it means to you and how it shows up in your work. Yeah, um, there is a dragonfly involved in pretty much everything I do. It's become my branding in a sense, and people sometimes refer to me as the dragonfly guy. Um, and it, I like that because I like dragonflies. And I think the way the dragonfly really got started is I was asked to do a talk um, for an organization and just happened to learn about dragonflies and did some research and, and did a talk on how dragonflies can be a good symbol for us of end of life and some of the things that we need to keep in mind. That's why I had written the ebook, The Life Lessons from Dragonflies, which people can download for free off of my website. But there are so many different life lessons that the dragonflies teach us. Um, I could go through a whole list of them here. You're best probably to go and just read them on your own from the, the free ebook. But dragonflies are amazing, okay? With their four wings, they can fly really fast. They can fly in any direction. They can hover still like a helicopter. And I believe that those who use this coach approach to end of life really can do amazing things as well when they're using these principles that we teach. Dragonflies aren't accepted by every culture, okay? Some cultures see them as really bad and evil. Some love them. Many individuals fear dragonflies and would never let them land on them because they might bite them. They look scary, which is the approach that a lot of people have toward death. That's why we're so quiet. We don't want to talk about it. It's scary. I don't, I don't want to share it. I don't want to deal with the reality of it. The reality is dragonflies don't bite and they don't sting. And we can talk about death in a really helpful, healthy way, because as you said, we're all gonna have to deal with it, probably in many different ways. Um, one of the places where we often find dragonflies is skimming across the top of ponds or creeks, rivers, okay? They're really laying their eggs when they skim right across the water is what they're doing. But that's become very symbolic for many countries and cultures that when they're skimming across the water, that the deep things from the bottom of that lake are maybe coming up to the surface. And when we talk about coaching those at end of life, 
we're always looking to go deep with them as well. Not just to share things that are on the surface, but to really share what's deep within them and to allow it to come out and to provide that safe place to do so. So they're just a couple of things that the dragonflies teach us. There are many more that you can read about in the ebook. Um, so dragonflies just become a symbol of who we are and what we're all about at coaching at end of life. We didn't hear too in that the metaphor matters very deeply to you in that you're, it's become so prevalent in your work and the imagery. There's something, um, I guess, about you, and I'm thinking about this related to the coaching competencies and, and the use of metaphor is one of the things that is valued there. And so this is, it's an interesting, very broad uh, an expansive use of metaphor. It is. Yeah. It is. When we introduce in a little bit longer sense of introducing what coaching at end of life is all about, I often use the dragonfly as an acronym as well and using each of the letters then to describe what we do and what we're all about at coaching at end of life. So we offer a little four hour introductory course to what is coaching at end of life. And I use that dragonfly acronym during that time as well. So you can sign up for that too, if interested. There's a lot of ways into your, your work. There is. <laughs> <laughs> so with the people that have done your training uh, and some of them still work, sort of closely associated with you. But in terms of uh, finding clients, finding work, which is something that uh, all, all coaches have to deal with, do you have any sense of what it's like for them in terms of finding that work? Of what it's like? Mm. Um, yeah. Um, well, like with any coaching clients, it takes work to find your clients. I mean, with any coaches, it takes work to find the clients. And uh, the people who've graduated from my program use their skills in many different ways. Some set up their own coaching business, and so they're simply looking for clients in that way. Some lead grief support groups. Some work for other organizations, for other grief centers, or for hospice, or in some kind of clergy setting. There are some who work with veterinarian offices, okay? Some who work at long-term care facilities. Uh, many different ways that, that this can be used. We have somebody who works with a financial advisor, who the financial advisor helps people to set up their long-term uh, goals and plans for aging, which often raises a lot of these end-of-life issues. And then the end-of-life coach steps in to coach them um, through whatever it is that they're fearing or thinking about as they work toward end-of-life. What I usually suggest to people, if you want to find clients, one of the best things to do is to find some connectors, people who are going to connect you to other people who are doing the end-of-life work to get to know people of long-term care facilities, get to know the funeral directors, get to know the hospitals, get to know the doctors, okay? Because doctors come across people who are grieving. So find those individuals 
who can refer the people they know who are grieving to you. One of the struggles of finding clients is what we talked about earlier. A lot of people just don't want to face it. They don't want to talk about it. And so they don't even go seeking help. And that's one of the reasons I really love the shift that's taking place because it's becoming more and more um, okay, permissible for them to go out and to find some support and some people who they can talk with and walk this journey with. I imagine uh, just with this like, scenario you were uh, just sharing about like the people who have, that don't want to talk about it is that when they come into asking for help, they're already uh, in a state, a state of disarray, I guess, more so than if they were working with someone at an earlier stage. Well, sometimes people feel very much at disarray, even very early on, when the emotions are so present and just so real, which is absolutely normal. And because we don't talk about it, they don't realize that it's normal. And so they come and say, I need help. Something's wrong with me. And the, to give them that reassurance that there's nothing wrong with them, that they're experiencing normal grief, is such a privilege and just a gift for them to realize that then they can really just face the emotions that they're experiencing in a much better way. Question just came up for me and it's okay. based on my own experience is in being with people um, where dementia is beginning to set in. And that changes the being with in some very interesting ways. And I'm wondering if you have experience with that. Um, certainly not an expert in that, but have some experience with it. And there's the whole wide range of some people just beginning to experience their dementia and some who are in their end stage of dementia. Mm -hmm. But I think for all those individuals, they still need people to be with them. Okay, um, and whether it's simply being present with them, it's listening to them tell their story. So for some, it's going back. They don't remember the current and the present as much, but there are a lot of long-term memories and to be able to sit and to allow them to share them and to get in touch with those memories, but to be able to meet them where they are mm -hmm. and using the same wording I've been using to walk that journey with them wherever they are is still a great gift and is very much needed. When I was asking you about it, I was the, thinking about this, like there's this, this sort of that unraveling of the mind that starts to happen and it goes in such different and interesting directions and staying with them, being with them where they are in that uh, is, is so highly appreciated by them. Uh, but it takes a lot to learn to do it. Yeah, it does. It does, but it, the, really the same basic principles are there, mm -hmm. is don't try to fix them. Meet them where they are. Listen, don't do so much talking. Don't try to fix them, but simply walk that journey with them. Mm -hmm. So it's a different twist to it, but the same basic coaching principles still apply.
Yeah. I was just thinking that watching them ease their frustration as that happens is, is, is really nice. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. Um, I was thinking too, is that you work with other kinds of loss, not, not just with bereavement, like uh, loss of relationship, loss of employment. Now I've also noticed that you've worked with aftermath of disaster. I was wondering if you could share some of that experience with us. Yes. Um, when, when I had started to learn part of what got me into this, I was working um, in an, an organization as a, what was called a workplace chaplain, where I was a chaplain on a big organization, a big company. And one of the individuals who worked there um, died during the workday. I needed to do a lot of support uh, with his coworkers to be able to help them with what they experienced. I did the death notifications. Um, and, I, and I found it was really rewarding for me to be a support to people in this really tragic, difficult time. I got some other training in the area of dealing with people in crisis, some of the critical incident stress management training, and joined a local I'm in the Philadelphia area and joined a crisis support team in the Philadelphia area. And that was right before 9-11 took place. So I took numerous trips to New York City, to Ground Zero, to do the debriefing of the firefighters and those who were doing a lot of the rescue work, um, which was very difficult and a very amazing privilege to be able to support them and help them with all that they were seeing and experiencing doing a lot of this rescue and cleanup work that they were involved in. Um, but I've taken that and very much apply that to all that I'm doing as well. Um, so that's the, the whole disaster work that you talked about. But we also realize that loss isn't always death related. So as you shared, one of the things that we train people for and one of the things that we regularly coach people in is what we call the living losses or the non-death related losses. Because all those things that you mentioned, losing a job, breakup of a relationship, moving, the fear of getting a, a medical test or treatment back, okay, all those are different kinds of losses, but they all need to be mourned. They all need to be grieved and let out. And so often, because we don't talk about them and don't even treat them as losses, people aren't mourning them. They're not letting their feelings out. And so they're trying to walk along with all these repressed feelings of grief. And that's never a good thing to do. That's an interesting work in that um, in our society, again, people are sort of expected to let things, things go and just get on with life. So that there's, there's a pressure to do that. And that's this allowing them to actually work through what's happened and yeah. release that energy and truly move on. Yeah, that's really the key. And one of the difficulties, as you said, of living in this culture where people want you to get over it. When getting over it is not the best thing, that's not even our goal. It's learning how to face it, okay? Learning how to let out whatever the feelings are that are within us. That's what's healthy. 
that's what's helpful as we move forward. Yeah. So that's what we like to provide as end of life coaches is not to get people over it, but to help them to face it and deal with it. Okay. Again, not fixing. Not fixing. Because it doesn't need fixing. It doesn't need fixing. Absolutely. That's the beauty of the coach approach. It's, it, there's this strong sense of the normalizing of uh, the uh, sort of the ebb and flow of life that I'm, I'm hearing when I listen to you. <laughs> These are the things that happen in life. Yeah. And uh, we can all be with it in, in our own different ways. But it's this, this allowing the space to help people do that in a healthy way. Exactly. And it's not only the normalizing of what happens to us and life around us, but normalizing our reactions to what happens and giving us safe places, giving us permission to be able to express the pain, permission to cry. Okay? Often we need to give ourselves that permission. But because we don't talk about it, people don't know that. Mm -hmm. And that's why we step in as coaches to help normalize um, what they're experiencing. The, um, I did notice in looking at some of your material, and I, I think this must be related to the, the loss of the person in the workplace, is that you have um, like an arrangement for when someone has died, in remembering things like their birthday and anniversaries and that for like a year after their passing to help people work through this uh, in, in like not in a deep way, but to acknowledge. Yeah, it's always important to do the follow-up that you don't just make one little visit and contact and say, oh, my work is done. Most people who are experiencing grief, especially like that ongoing support, and it's they want to know that they're remembered and that their loved one is remembered. Okay. So we talk about that in the training and teaching about the importance of follow-up. And hospice certainly does that. Hospice is mandated to follow for 13 months the family members of the loved one who has died because that's what's needed. Beyond that first year, because the first year is for many the most difficult, the first year of everything that's the first time doing it this way without their loved one. But I think what you're talking about is the software that we provide. Yes. Um, often that follow-up isn't done because it's just too time consuming and so difficult to be able to uh, get to, to remember and to figure out who needs to be contacted at this time. And so we have what's called the bereavement management system, um, which is a software program either geared for a community edition for small organizations or or clergy or a hospice edition which is geared toward the 13-month follow-up for hospices or the corporate edition for corporations for long-term care facilities to be able to use this software to help manage the whole follow-up program to remind you who needs to be contacted when it creates cards it creates letters it creates newsletters that can be sent out on a regular basis to be that presence in walking the journey with people who are grieving 
Well, and supporting people in doing that, and it sounds like it takes some pressure off as well. Yeah, it does, because the software, the computer does a lot of the work for you. And so you don't have to try to remember it all. It's all done electronically. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah, and then remember, remembering things uh, after something difficult, like uh, the loss of a loved one, too, is very hard on people. The strain that it is left on the people that are left behind. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. So we try to provide the tools. So some of the books that we provide, we provide the training, provide the software. Um, there are different tools that we recommend for people uh, to help them in doing grief support groups. So we just want to help equip them to be able to do this work well. Very nice. The, um, I noticed we're coming up close to the end of our time. And I have one more question that I'd like to ask you. Okay. And that's what do you find most fulfilling? about coaching at end of life? I'll answer that in two ways, I guess. Um, for one, I, I'll, I'll answer in a selfish way first. I love being with the dying and being with people in grief because they teach me what is so important in life. When I started doing this end of life work on a full-time basis, I thought this is gonna be so hard. How am I gonna deal with this? And I found I absolutely loved it. I listened to them. And especially when I'm with the dying, they teach me the way that I want to live life each day. There's another book that I'm working on called um, Dying to Live, Lessons We Learn from the Dying. Um, because they know what's important. They don't get caught up in a lot of the crazy, petty things that we who don't realize we're dying get caught up in. They know what's important. And so I just love learning those lessons. And also with people who are grieving, with all that they've been through and their loved one dying, they get a sense of what's important as well. And so for me, selfishly, personally, I love learning from them. But the other side of that is also very true. I know, I know no greater privilege than walking this journey with other people, people who are being very real people who are expressing what they're feeling, people who aren't afraid to take off the masks and say, this is what it's like. And to be able to walk that journey with them and to be present um, and to be that support is one of the most amazing privileges in the whole world. And mm -hmm. so that's what I love the most and makes me keep going back and doing it again and again and again. I'm certainly here being of service in their even in when you say there's a selfish aspect to it, but that getting down to what really, really matters in life. Yeah. yeah. And being with people in a very, very real space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It does sound extremely fulfilling. Thank you. It is. It was actually quite moving. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is. We, I do a lot of crying because okay? I'm with people who are crying and so I need to do my own grieving mm -hmm. and letting it out. But that's, that's a good thing. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It has been lovely talking with you today. Uh, likewise, Lois. Thank you so much for 
all that you do and for this organization. And it's a privilege to come and be a part of it. So thank you very much for giving us an insight into the work that you do. And, and the value that coaching at end of life brings to so many people. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And thank you all for joining us for this edition of Teleosis Institute's Future of Coach Health Coaching Online. For access to past and present, uh, past and future conversations, please visit teleosis.org. Thank you.